it is important to understand luck. It's very common for people to either think that, oh, luck is everything, or what I'm doing is everything and luck has nothing to do with it. The truth is in between. I think what helped me having this understanding that you can influence your luck. It still plays a big role, but you can actually change the odds and you can change the odds by orders of magnitude. So you can increase your probability of success in a specific area by 100 times, by 1,000 times, by even by a million times. Hello, hello, hello. Super excited for you to be joining us for season five, episode 64 of the Afternoon Tea Podcast, where we chat with the founders of Canada's most interesting and successful companies. Next week, we've got Brenda Bailey, Parliamentary Secretary for Technology and Innovation. But this week, this episode 64, we have a fabulous guest joining us, Max Litvin, founder of Grammarly. On top of this, we're doing something very special for season five. Canada has so many amazing startups that I wanted to share some of my favorites with you. Today's Canadian Startup of the Week is an awesome Vancouver-based company named Makeship. So we'll learn a little bit about Makeship, whose founder, Rakan El-Shawaf, also has a well-thought-out question for Max. But first... Let's chat with Max as he shares stories about his journey building Grammarly, how taking on a big challenge means you need a big team, how important core values have been to scaling Grammarly, the pros and cons of a remote workforce, and how while luck is important, there are ways you can affect your odds a thousandfold. Please, please, please don't forget to like, subscribe, or do all those things we podcasters love. But now, Max Litvin is the creator of one of the world's most loved software tools, Grammarly, which he co-founded in 2009 with Alex Shevchenko and Dimitro Leader. I state loved due to its 30 million plus active daily users, including me. Prior to Grammarly, Max co-founded my Dropbox, a plagiarism detection company, and served as the director of product strategy at Blackboard after it acquired his company. Max, thank you for joining us today. Thanks for having me, Chris. Uh, I'm excited to be on this uh, on this show, and uh, yeah, looking forward to chat. Fantastic, fantastic. Well, I mean, I really do want to touch on that. How often do you hear from people that say you're from Grammarly? You founded Grammarly. I love that company. Is that is that just because that was the feedback I got every time I mentioned the company name? Do you get that as well? Oh yeah, I get it very often, um, especially when I wear Grammarly swag, uh, like in the ski slopes or, or yeah. when biking, and uh, people on lifts uh, recognize it and uh, just start uh, start a conversation. And it was funny that uh, a few years ago it was mostly, "Oh, you're from Grammarly, my kids love it," and now <laughs> it changed. You're from Grammarly, I love it, yes. uh, which is uh, which is kind of a um, matching our shift in in where the product is going as well. Oh, that's fantastic. But yeah, I really, I mean, I wish I could figure out how to create the magic you've created. Well, let's let's just talk about that. Can you share the creation story behind Grammarly? Uh, yeah, um, it started uh, back when uh, uh, my co-founders and I were working on uh, our previous uh, company, uh, my Dropbox, a plagiarism uh, detection uh, company. Uh, and uh, one of the biggest questions uh, companies and educational institutions uh, who used our product asked us was why people plagiarize so much because everybody was just so surprised by the amount of plagiarism they did they found in their student work or their writer work their copywriter work mm -hmm. just 
it was staggering uh, for most of them. So that was quite often a question that was asked for us uh, to us. And uh, although it wasn't our job to respond to it, we, we were just finding it, not uh, necessarily explaining it. Mm -hmm. uh, but we started thinking about why people do that. It's it's so dangerous, unethical, risky, can ruin a career. Why people do it? Mm -hmm. uh, and uh, turned out that people did it because it's just so hard to put your thoughts in writing. It's often so hard to take the ideas, take what you want to communicate and actually do it, actually communicate it uh, in a way that is understandable uh, to people. Uh, so that's uh, that gave us the idea. Why, uh, why couldn't we make a product that is not policing plagiarism, but rather making it easier for people to put their original thoughts and ideas into, into writing to communicate it? <clears throat> that's wonderful. And that's where we started um, thinking about Grammarly. Um, and... Uh, Initially, this idea seemed too big and too ambitious. Back when we thought about it in 2007 um, or other 2009, um, technology wasn't quite there. There were no like AI and, and other technologies were not capable of many of the things they're capable of today. Um, so it seemed impossible. Uh, but we knew that everything's progressing and, and at some point soon it should be possible. So we built kind of a timeline of when we do what. And we started with mechanics of communication, just essentially communicating in a way that people expect you to communicate. Mm -hmm. uh, spelling, grammar, punctuation, structure of sentences and paragraphs, basically just making sure it's understandable, it makes sense and kind of a, makes you uh, look like a reasonable person. Mm -hmm. um, so that's, that was our step one. But then step two was clarity. Uh, when you communicate, the goal is always to be understood. Uh, I mean, it's one of the goals, but it's always an implied goal there because communication without understanding, it just doesn't happen. Um, so we added a bunch of features around clarity, making sure that uh, it's easy to understand your point. It's easy to parse through all the sentences and paragraphs and, and all the content that you created um, and so on. So that was uh, kind of a big shift. Then mm -hmm. we looked at other dimensions of communication and identified um, kind of the whole direction of uh, emotion. It's a mm -hmm. big part of what we try to communicate with writing. And it's more difficult with writing because we don't see nonverbals, we don't see body language, we don't hear voice intonations and so on. Um, so communicating emotion through writing is more difficult. And sometimes it happens unintentionally. People read into what we write. They kind of infer or interpret some things that mm -hmm. might even not be there or might not be intended. So we uh, spent um, um, quite a bit of uh, time thinking how to introduce that dimension into our product functionality because um, it was a difficult challenge. But uh, kind of we, we we figured it out after a number of iterations how to make it not not look like we're lecturing, but mm -hmm. at the same time help people be more aware of how their communication is going to be interpreted on the other end. Mm -hmm. um, and then finally, uh, kind of the final frontier for communication improvement, I wouldn't say final, but uh, uh, kind of the biggest and the most interesting to date uh, is effectiveness. Mm -hmm. When you say something or write something, there is a purpose for it. Like you're doing it for a reason. Mm -hmm. uh, you want to change something in some way, uh, somebody's opinion, somebody's view, somebody's level of being informed or being motivated or uh, something needs to change as a result, basically. Something needs to happen. Mm -hmm. And that 
um, like helping that happen, helping that be more effective, uh, I think is a big part of how we can improve communication, improve its effectiveness. So that's that's kind of what um, what the next big frontier for us is. Well, that's that's exciting. I mean, I I gotta say the thing that I'm most impressed with, and I, and I it, the UX is fantastic because it's what you've done is basically. I mean, you're kind of like a layer on top of everything, right? But you yep. don't really feel that layer yet when you capture like the emotion engine that you're talking about, where it's saying, "Hey, this is you know a funny one, or is this a friendly one, or is this a serious one?" It's just very simple iconography to showcase that in a percentage. I, I think that's wonderful. But the the what I love about the product now is you're simplifying my language. Like it's not, you know, I've, I've been speaking English a long time, been writing in English a long time, and you're making me speak in fewer words and, and writing in fewer words. And I think that is, that's a super interesting like problem I didn't even know I had until you read it and you're like, yeah, you know what? I don't need to say really that many times or any of these things. So you're, you're really making a positive uh, effect on the way I communicate. So again, you know, I'll do the little the heart thing because that is, you know, for for those who can hear, I've got a little bit of a K-pop heart going. Probably did it poorly. Um, well, you know, I mean, your English is fantastic, obviously, um, but English wasn't your first language because you're you're originally from the the, the Ukraine. Um, does that help you in understanding the problem? You know, that that, that the problem that Grammarly is solving is like, you know, because you're not a native speaker. Um, like in the same way that when I'm studying, like, I mean, I did my undergrad in Russian. I learned a lot about English. From learning that language, for example, does it help when English isn't your first language to to try to look at this problem to solve it? Yes, but not in the way most people think. Because uh, you know, when we talk about somebody who's non-native speaker, you um, immediately what comes to mind is, oh, that helps with grammar, spelling, sentence structure, and and stuff like that. Mm -hmm. uh, but that's that's the easy part. Um, like when I um, when I applied for my um, uh, to, to university for uh, for MBA, um, my kind of a formal English test were 100%. So basically, the level of <laughs> language mastery wasn't a problem, mm -hmm. but there was still a problem. Like when I wrote um, papers or wrote, uh, particularly wrote uh, kind of a marketing content, because uh, uh, my, my MBA was uh, in marketing, um, my classmates who were native speakers were like, oh, this sounds odd, or people don't talk like that. Mm -hmm. And I was like, what, what are you talking about? That's perfectly grammatically correct. Mm -hmm. But it still sounded odd. And it was very easy for me to write something that was overly aggressive or cheesy mm -hmm. or just robotic without realizing it. Because even though I knew the formal rules of the language, mm -hmm. it wasn't my language. I didn't know how it's used in real life by people and that gave me that understanding gave me deeper appreciation of how complex and how deep communication is sure. um even though like one word may mean something in one language the directest translation of that word to another language could be another word that has some different connotations and mm -hmm. it's sometimes it's hard to realize that mm -hmm. um like with colors, it's it's a very popular example. But um, um, for example, blue color in English, its direct translation to some other languages actually means slightly different shade of mm -hmm. a color. Yeah. And uh, and that's true with many many other words and and sentences and structures and and uh, um, and so on. And um, appreciating that gave me some gave me better understanding of complexities of communication, why communication may fail and how it may be improved. 
Hmm. Is, is Grammarly, I mean, Grammarly is obviously English is the big market. Um, are you are you looking at other languages too, or is it is it mostly English? Uh, it's mostly English. Um, mm -hmm. We um, Why it's mostly English? Because at this point, um, given how many people use English and how many people use English as uh, uh, both native and non-native language, mm -hmm. uh, we estimate it's about 2 billion people uh, mm -hmm. who use English in some form uh, globally. Tough um it's a lot mm -hmm. um so it's a huge market and biggest gains are are in going deeper in english rather than going in other language at this moment uh but we're looking at other languages as uh, as an opportunity for the future and we build our technologies with uh, extensibility in mind so that it can be uh, extended to other languages um and for example on mobile uh, on Android, we support other languages as well, just because it's uh, it, it's a bit of a clunky experience to switch different keyboards for different languages. So we had mm -hmm. to uh, accelerate support for other languages in our product. There. Oh, that's interesting. Well, well, just prior to COVID, I, I was really, really lucky. I went I went down to your office and actually got a tour down in the San Francisco office, and it, it was great. I actually had lunch there. It was good. Thank you very much. Um, but I spoke. To, I was there with your marketing team, and and they were awesome. Like they were really, really awesome. But one thing that I that I got kind of hit with, which was an obvious, like, I thought this was an obvious thing, but they, they got me back right away was, I said, so do you aim and you market for ESL people? And mm -hmm. instantly said, no, you never do that. I'm like, but why not? He goes, because the ESL market is a very specific market, but we want the larger market because everyone communicates. And yeah. it just made me think, wow, you're right, because this is a perfect product for ESL, but they're going to buy it no matter what, like guaranteed, because they need it. But this is a product that's going to help other people communicate. So I'm just glad, you know, that your marketing team, I mean, just said you have an MBA marketing, so you clearly understand this game. Um, but, you know, they really explained to me that you never, you never really say it that way because you want to capture the larger market. Um, was yeah, that, when, it, when, when did you start thinking that way? Um, yeah, we, we always aimed at um, everyone, uh, everyone communicating, not, uh, not a specific group. Um, obviously we started with, uh, smaller segments, uh, so kind of a starting small and making a product for, uh, for a specific segment and then expanding is, is always a good strategy. So mm -hmm. we, we started with that in mind, but, um, but the original idea with always was not about, uh, ESL or EFL or language learners. Mm -hmm. Uh, it was just about communication in general. How we can we, how can we improve communication, um, uh, all together and communication in a very broad sense, not just emails or or uh, memos or text messages, but communication very very broadly, even team collaboration meetings and so on. So yeah, mm -hmm. and and I gotta say one thing too, you're you're you know people who are ESL because my wife for example she's mm -hmm. Korean she speaks English fantastic, but her writing is she doesn't have a lot of experience with it. But when she started using. I've noticed, you know, with Grammarly, with her writing, I've noticed she's using words differently. So I, I want to say that, you know, this is probably not the original goal, but you're actually educating people as they're even just using a product, which is, you know, sorry, Duolingo, I'm not learning as fast as that. Grammarly is the way to learn, I think. But, uh, um, well, one thing that you have that I think is really interesting is you're driven by eager. So that's the ethical, adaptable, gritty, empathetic, and remarkable. How did you come up with that? Oh, that was... a big process mm -hmm. um, <laughs> um we um when we realized that how big the challenge that we are facing is in terms of like technology to build it we realized that we need to build a big company because mm -hmm. uh, it's a big problem big challenge and it takes a big team to solve it 
and when we realized that, well, the company needs to grow, um, we tried to come up with a foundation that could last years. Mm-hmm. And uh, what's extensible, what doesn't change frequently, and that what could be scaled um, and be useful. Um, and we thought about it for a long time, and we values was was an answer. That mm-hmm. values is something that um, doesn't change often. Uh, most people don't change their core values throughout their lifetime or change them very slowly. Mm-hmm. Uh, same with organizations. Values can be applied to shortcut decision making. Mm-hmm. Let's say uh, we don't debate if something is ethical or not ethical. We don't debate it. We just made an ethical decision. Or mm-hmm. we don't debate when uh, something is uh, some th- there is a version to change. Well, a version to change is not adaptable. We should look at change as opportunity. So mm-hmm. there is no debate around that. So it kind of shortcuts a lot of discussions. Mm-hmm. Um, also helps explain things faster and more clear uh, to to a team uh, or to across teams. Uh, so it's kind of a common language and common decision making framework. So very practical thing. So how do we how do we came up with a specific set of values? Sure. Took several iterations. Um, first, we just came up with a set of values. I think fifteen or something uh, that were like what we want to be, what we aspire to be, and that didn't work. Mm-hmm. Uh, that didn't work because. Uh, um, Kind of, it didn't, it didn't sound authentic. It didn't connect with the team, mm. so we scrapped it very quickly, and we came up with another set of values that was actually sourced from from the team, sourced from us. Like what what's important for us, and it was a longer process, more kind of inclusive process with everybody participating. Mm. Uh, and we came up with a list of again over a dozen of values that uh, now where. Uh, showing who we are, who we were, and 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 uh, what was important for us as as a, as a team, it worked, but was clunky because there were too many, too many values, and people were just forgetting them, and wasn't it wasn't as practical. Mm-hmm. Uh, so even though it resonated, it sounded great, and um, kind of everybody liked it, it wasn't practical. Mm-hmm. So we did another iteration and distilled it to the current uh, five values, which is enough uh to provide a kind of scaffolding for all the things that i mentioned kind of decision making prioritization and stuff like that uh and at the same time it's it's small enough set to always be top of mind well how important is having like when you define the values of a company you define that culture how important is it for a company to have that in order to be successful like you can't just be hairy fairy i'm I'm just i kind of know the answer already but this is for lessons for those younger entrepreneurs basically well, it's important. Uh, it, it, I think it's very important, but I, I don't think it's sufficient by itself. So it's not it's not a, it's not a silver bullet. Mm-hmm. Uh, if there is no product market fit or some other issues, it's not going to fix that. Mm-hmm. But it makes it easier to scale uh, the team to be on the same page. So mm-hmm. it is it is a boost. It is mm-hmm. a booster for everything else. Um, you know, like there are some things that if you do doing it wrong, it's a tax. If you're doing it right, it's it's a boost. And having right set of values is um is definitely something that kind of adds efficiency and effectiveness to everything you do and makes it easier. Uh, so I would I would suggest paying attention to that, investing some time in in, in having and understanding what what the values of your team, your company, your product are. Um, 
but again, it's not going to fix issues in other areas. Uh, so there's, it's still having a successful company, a successful business, successful product requires a lot of components and it's just one of them. For sure, for sure. Well, I, I mean, I just want to kind of go on this because I think there's a lesson to be had in some of this too, because you said, you know, I guess you tried to do the top-down approach, maybe just the executives trying to define the values initially. Was that, is that fair to, to say? And then you kind of took a team approach after that and finding a little more yes. success with that. Because I, I, I asked that because I find that's actually pretty common, especially as a team grows. And the, the, the lesson that I've learned just from talking to many you know people like yourself is that it's really important to have the team involved in that to get a true sense of what the values are. Because people, you know, they feel like mercenaries if they don't have their own say in what the values are, or at least can grow into them. So it's just something I want to touch on. That it's really important that you do have, you democratize your values. You make, you make people understand them. Would, would, would you agree with that? Absolutely. Um, yes, involving team is crucial. Um, and also involving team in the correct way, I think. Um, kind of a values is not what you think you should be. Values is what, what is really important to you. Like, mm -hmm. So kind of being honest with yourself uh, about the values. Mm -hmm. uh, like what is important for you regardless of uh, like anybody watching or like it's not who you want to be to, to the public, it's who you really are. For sure, for sure. And and I would I would even say like we we had like we have our, you know, in our companies, our go aways where we, you know, have the team think about these things and really kind of define them. And once you have them defined, like for example, a vision statement or you know, a mission statement or all that, it affects everything. Like it really does affect everything. Like our how we sell, how we hire, how we do everything is really you know, is 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 comes from just those statements alone. So, you know, people really do have to understand that it's it's important to think those through, not just yeah, mm -hmm. this is what we are, boom, done. You know, it really, you won't be successful in that, especially in the tech world where, where if you want to hire well and all that, I mean, product matters, obviously, but culture matters too, because a lot of people want to get behind something that they believe in and, and values is a good part of that. Um, well, let's, let's talk about this. I mean, you, you, your, 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 your role um, with the company is head of revenue. What, what exactly is a, a day to day or um, what, 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 what comes with that title? Well, actually, that's uh, um, my role is uh, evolving all the time. So uh, that may be a, a bit of a, um, a bit of a dated uh, title because um, that title was uh, you. I used that uh, when I was actively setting up a Grammarly business, um, a new line of business for us, um, mm -hmm. and uh, combining it with the responsibilities for individual uh, line of business revenue. So that's uh, that. Uh, uh, that title basically meant that, that mm -hmm. uh, I'm responsible for balancing um, revenue across uh, lines of business and prioritizing them against each other and so on. Mm -hmm. um, it, now it changed. Now I'm focused more on um, just longer term strategy of the company in general. Um, mm -hmm. So that's uh, that's my uh, current area of focus. But I, I wore many hats uh, over, uh, over the history of the company, um, just like any entrepreneur, I, I think, because uh, initially I did everything, including accounting and even some legal, even though I'm not qualified <laughs> to do that. Uh, but uh, eventually uh, I focused on what I do best and that uh, that that is uh, more of a, a strategy and uh, um, understanding our market, understanding our users. 
For sure, for sure. Now you you have an office here in Vancouver, and um, I be, I believe this is where you're where you're you're living yourself, um, which which I thought was right. I remember when I when I met you the first time, you actually Grammarly sponsored uh, our hackathon, the Van the Van Hacks hackathon, with uh, um, uh, as part of uh, Vancouver Startup Week, and that's where I knew. I remember I remember you you got to be one of the judges, and you just stood up and you gave a elevator pitch uh, about Grammarly. And I remember looking at Vivian, Vivian Chat, and just going, "Oh, he he he's he's good at this. Like you, you clearly you you've done this before." Um, but I was really impressed because you know apparently from from what I heard from your market, you just basically got in Vancouver and you're starting. You wanted to start Roots right away. So I really saluted you to be so active in the community right off the bat, right off the bat, which I thought was fantastic. But can you tell me? I mean, you're you're the company's headquartered in San Francisco. Can you tell me a little bit about the dynamics of the different office spaces and maybe what each one does? Uh, yeah, of course. Um, so our office in um, San Francisco um, started uh, a few years after we started the company. So the company was started in 2009 and office in San Francisco, I think we opened it in 2012. Mm -hmm. um, uh, initially, the company actually started in, uh, with offices in Toronto and uh, Kiev, Ukraine. Mm -hmm. um, and uh, uh, then we relocated Toronto office to San Francisco uh, and then opened office in uh, New York and in Vancouver. And now we also added uh, a hub in Berlin. Uh, oh, wow. So that's that's kind of uh, current company layout. Um, mm -hmm. And now I'm saying hub because Grammarly is a remote first company now. Mm -hmm. okay. uh, so our offices are not traditional offices. Uh, they're more of a meeting and collaboration spaces. Uh, many people choose to work out of the office, but uh, besides just attending meetings, they don't have to. Um, sure. So that's, uh, uh, that's why we call them hubs rather than offices. Um, yeah, so that's that's kind of the current structure. Um, there is no not much specialization uh, across offices, so it's not like one office is engineering, another office is uh, marketing. Um, we didn't pursue that uh, approach. Uh, we just use offices as centers, as hubs for the talent that's in that region, people in that region. But we want to be able to hire broadly. Um, as I said, this is like the problem, the challenge we're solving is so difficult that. We, we just have to look for people wherever they are, uh, for people who are uh, best positioned to solve this challenge. Sure, sure. Now, when you moved remote remote first, did you find you captured massive efficiencies or was it a culture challenge or, you know, what, what was what were the challenges? What was the rewards of, of going that direction? It's a wild mix of costs <laughs> and benefits. Uh, obviously, there are some costs. Uh, um, and uh, I mean, everybody's aware of that, that uh, being spending less time in person takes longer to build trust. It takes mm -hmm. longer to pick up uh, on uh, kind of this ambient background knowledge and so on. But at the same time, there are efficiencies in uh, just having flexible, more flexible uh, lifestyles and mm -hmm. uh, being able to hire uh, people from just broader, uh, broader ge geography. And uh, I think that that is really important, especially when you're solving uh, challenges that require uh, kind of top-notch, bleeding-edge uh, specialists and experts, mm. and they may be like somewhere where you don't have an office or somewhere there they, they're not in the position to relocate. And initially, uh, that's kind of why, for example, we opened the New York office uh, when we had office in San Francisco, because there were people on the East Coast who didn't want to move to West Coast. Mm. And, 
and we really needed them. Mm -hmm. But uh, now with uh, with kind of remote first approach, uh, it, it's kind of it's less critical to do that to to open kind of offices in every city. Sure, sure. Well, can you tell me a little bit about your Canadian experience? I mean, it sounds like Toronto office and all that. When 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 what's your first time of uh, coming to Canada or feeling roots in Canada? Um, I first came to Canada in two thousand four. Mm -hmm. uh right after uh right after uh my mba um um and uh kind of a it's i never thought about moving to canada to uh, relocate into canada it's just that after getting an mba in the us i thought oh do i want to stay in north america go back to ukraine um what i want to do and uh um kind of a i don't want to say anything bad about the United States, but mm -hmm. uh, I thought to myself, well, well, if there was a country like USA, but nicer. <laughs> and then um, Alex, uh, uh, my co-founder, uh, suggested Canada. I was like, oh, that fits. That mm -hmm. actually makes sense. So we looked into it and um, realized that, well, this is, this is actually a good fit uh, for us, for our business. And um, Alex applied uh, to University of Toronto uh, for graduate program, and my wife applied to University of Toronto to PhD program, and they oh, both wow. got in. Uh, so I thought that was a sign, and we just all three of us, me, my wife, and Alex, relocated to Toronto. That's awesome. So it's, I'm glad to hear that. Just like you, just like myself, your wife is smarter than you too. Like I, 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 rec I recognize that too. With P PhD, that's that's great. Well. Well, I'm, we're we're very happy that you uh, that 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 Toronto, a great university too, I gotta say, uh, except you. But we're much happier that you live in Vancouver. Well, you know what? I, I want a little touch Van Vancouver. I mean, on the topic of you know business in Vancouver, we've got this new thing, which is our startup of the week. Um, and this this uh, startup of the week um, is a really special one here from Vancouver called Makeship. And I sat down uh, to chat with Makeship's founder Rakan El Shawaf, who managed to find a few moments in his busy schedule, something that I know you <laughs> definitely have a busy schedule too, Max. Um, to tell me a little bit about Makeship, and he has a question just for you and in your journey. So here's Rakan. Rakan, how are you doing today? Hi, Chris. Thanks for having me. I'm doing really good. How about yourself? Fantastic, fantastic. So elevator pitch time. Tell me about Makeship. Yeah, absolutely. So Makeship is a crowdfunding platform for content creators to launch novel products online. So we work with the creator to design the product, and they have about 21 days to get enough of their fans to buy it, after which we produce and ship the, the product to their fans and do the customer service and, and all the, the back-end work that, that goes, goes into it. Um, yeah, we've bootstrapped for the, over the past three years to about 65 employees and eight figures in revenue. Amazing, amazing. And as I have a personal story in the sense that I watch videos quite often on YouTube and one of my favorite mm -hmm. uh, Eastern European uh, characters was actually selling the Gotnik version of him on his web on his <laughs> on his YouTube channel. And I was like, this is incredible, and I had to share it with you right away. Well, tell me about the fan team of Makeshift. Uh, yeah, the founding team, absolutely. So we are uh, three co-founders. First co-founder, he's based in China. I met him when I was on a gap year there, and uh, his name is Wang Tao. Uh, then there's Pablo. He and I met together at a hackathon, and that's when that's when we kind of got together. The three, the three of us uh, um, started Makeshift to, it was really uh, about empowering creators that are really small to do stuff that really big creators can do. That's like the, the gist of the idea. 
Oh, that's fantastic. And I love that you met at a hackathon. I think that this is a place mm -hmm. where business, I, you know, ideas and thoughts and partnerships should always be created. Well, besides, you know, Gopnik dolls, um, what can you share with me a recent win that makes ship is happy? Oh, yeah. So honestly, like the, the wins that excite me the most about makeshift mm -hmm. is when we uh, find a creator that has an outsized impact on uh, their fans. Some of my favorite uh, wins with makeshift is always like we find the creator, maybe they have 20,000 to 80,000 uh, followers on one of the social media accounts, which is considered very small. And um, But we launch with them and then they sell more than creators that we work with that have millions of followers. One of them is his name is Joe Cat and sold almost 10,000 pieces of his uh, goblin plush toy. That campaign, um, just from that his first campaign, he was able to uh, buy a house um, and that's from the payment from, from his plush toy sales. So that's, that story is always really fun to, to, to share. That is incredible. I love that. Well, can you share with me one lesson that you, you know, that you wish you knew when you started that you know, you know now? Yeah, I think like um, it, it's a lesson that I'm still learning, I would say, but uh, the, the importance of making decisions and not being, not overthinking whether they're correct or not. Um, mm -hmm. It's always been something that, you know, I give myself a hard time about like, hey, like uh, this, I, I made this wrong hire or this wrong decision, or we should have killed this idea faster or all these, you know, if you, if you really want to dig deep and think about, you know, when you're about to go to sleep and your brain starts to go thousand RPM, you could think about a million decisions that you've made that you would have wished to, to change. But really the lesson here is that, no, you got to just like make the decisions don't be overworked up on whether they were correct or not, because ultimately your path to success is about iterating as opposed to making the right decision every single time, which is practically impossible. Fantastic. And I, and I, and I hundred percent agree. Well, as you know, we chat with some of Canada's most successful founders on afternoon tea and our guest this week is, uh, you know, the exciting guest is Mac Lit, uh, Max Litvin of uh, Grammarly. Um, mm -hmm. What question could you ask him that might've helped you on your own journey? Um, I feel like I have a question I'm very curious about um, and, and would, would definitely help me in my journey, but I'd love to know, like, Max started his uh, Grammarly with, you know, there were, there were three Ukrainian-born founders, and mm -hmm. uh, I'm very curious how being an immigrant uh, impacted how he built up the culture early on and, oh. and what, 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 what was different about the way he built his companies versus, you know, his peers that I'm sure he, you know, was, were all around him also building companies. Um, how was how is their culture different because they they were immigrants uh, versus other companies? Uh, yeah, I, I think it played uh, it played pretty big role. And um, one thing about being an immigrant is um, um, it's hard to hard to explain it uh, or hard to put it in hard to put in words. And <laughs> part of the reason why Grammarly exists, things are hard to put in words. <laughs> I love that. <laughs> uh, but uh, as an immigrant, you experience um, kind of people judging you by very kind of superficial things, things that you did differently, and they got interpreted and sometimes interpreted in ways that are incorrect um, and. Uh, and you realize that you need to kind of signal um, 
more or pay more attention to to how to 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 how you appear in your communication in in your behavior in, in things you do mm-hmm. and uh, um so that um uh, kind of helped understand the importance of communication and and helped um was very consistent with the, with the company mission uh, mm-hmm. but that also made it easier for us to create a global team mm-hmm. uh, because you have appreciation or we, we had always uh, always had this appreciation of cultural differences and differences in communication and from the outset for example we it's part of our onboarding to to tell people that well if somebody's poor communicator in English, it doesn't mean that they are less qualified than whatever they do. Mm-hmm. And that's what we, for example, heard from some of our client companies, companies that uh, license Grammarly for their, uh, their teams, that mm-hmm. one of the reasons why license uh, they license Grammarly is to make sure that their offices in different countries can communicate effectively without any prejudice, without saying, mm-hmm. oh, these guys, English is so broken, they must be less intelligent. Sure. That's not the case. It's it's not. It, but but people make these judgments subconsciously, and that's uh, uh, kind of that. That's one of the things you appreciate as uh, as a, as an immigrant. Um, yeah, there there are many other uh, things that uh, come with it, um, like adaptability. Again, it made it made it into list of Grammarly's top values mm-hmm. uh, because. Um, me and and uh, other Grammarly co-founders um, and uh, many other Grammarly employees for immigrants realize how important adaptability is, and things being different from what you used to is not bad automatically. Sometimes mm-hmm. it's actually good. Sometimes it's mm-hmm. very good. Uh, mm-hmm. So in Grammarly, we view changes or new things or different things as an opportunity, as something to explore, something to learn from, and uh, I think that came from from being an immigrant and exploring culture that's different from yours but different doesn't mean worse it, it actually in many in many ways it's something to learn from oh i different definitely does not make worse i mean vancouver 30 years ago it was interesting for food but now oh <laughs> man it's so much better and i gotta say being being a, a, a ukrainian immigrant to canada must actually be pretty comfortable because i think you you, you know just traditionally we have so many ukrainians here that, you know, again, I'm going to go with my K-pop heart for, for Ukrainians wanting to come to Canada, please. You know, we're, we're, we're a very similar um, in terms of temperature and, and, you know, especially across the prairies and all this. Culturally, you're very accepted, very welcome. Please, you know, make, make us a better country through, through, through your additions. Um, yeah, but- I'm, I'm happy to hear that. And uh, yeah, it, it, there is a very strong and big uh, uh, Ukrainian community in, in Toronto. And uh, we were very active in that. Um, but uh, in Vancouver, it's much smaller, unfortunately, yeah. uh, but still uh, still a pretty good community. Oh, yeah. Well, you have to try Winnipeg. I think every one of my friends in Winnipeg has a, a Shevchenko or a, you know, a name like that. It's, 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 a, it's, it's wonderful. Well, tell me about the founding of My Dropbox. Was that your first tech company? It was the first kind of real tech company. Um, uh, Alex, uh, my co-founder, and I, we were working together um, since, I think, 1998 or 99. So we did a lot of... Uh, smaller projects but there was a more kind of amateurish uh, just projects not, mm-hmm. not companies Mindrobox was the first real business mm-hmm. um and as i mentioned in the beginning it was a plagiarism detection company 
um it it was born out of a college project we just built a like a technology just for our internal use inside our university mm -hmm. uh in kiev and um when we re we realized that well it has its use and its uh, benefits elsewhere we turn it into into a real company um and it was easier to do that because at the time uh, both of us relocated north america which which made it easier to start start a company and, and market a product oh that's cool that's cool and and then it was acquired by blackboard yes at the time blackboard was uh, uh, the biggest learning management platform and uh, um, uh, Alex and I, we thought, how can we take this product to as many people as possible? Uh, and, uh, um, kind of, uh, partnering with Blackboard in this way was, uh, was a very interesting, uh, scenario for kind of delivering the product to as many, as many people as possible. And it also enabled us to, to start Grammarly after that. And thank you. Thank you, Blackboard, for that. Then what was it like to go from entrepreneur to, uh, office desk job again now was that was that was that difficult uh no it wasn't difficult um it wasn't difficult because uh um blackboard at the time was a fairly flexible company it it kind of acted as a startup in many ways uh it's fundamentally it was a tech company a tech company uh mm -hmm. so it wasn't jarring experience and it was a learning opportunity um because Mydrobox was obviously much much smaller uh so joining a company with over thousand employees at the time uh was very interesting for me to um in 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 terms of understanding how things work how uh teams are organized and all that mm -hmm. just um i think this experience was invaluable to scaling grammarly later well, that's interesting. I mean, that's the, you know, you always hear about entrepreneurs just wanting to be entrepreneurs, but you took that time to really learn and, you know, expand. And I think that's, I think that's a really important lesson. Again, you know, lessons I'm trying to, we're trying to, we're trying to pass on to the, uh, to the, to the, that next generation of founders here. Um, well, your MBA, you went to Vanderbilt, which is, which is Virginia, right? Is that Vanderbilt? It's uh, in Nashville, Tennessee. T Tennessee. Why Vanderbilt? Well, uh, I don't know the answer to this question. Uh, mm -hmm. I mean, there is an answer, but it's probably not a good one. Uh, I knew somebody <laughs> who studied there, uh, mm -hmm. so it felt uh, more kind of comfortable to to okay. uh, to go to that university. But uh, I applied to a number of uh, programs and uh, um, and and could choose where to go and chose Vanderbilt. And I I'm not sure it was the best choice uh, in retrospect, but I really enjoyed the program. Um, mm -hmm. It was. Uh, very much case study focused, basically okay. just seeing real uh, company, real situation and trying to solve their problem in uh, like how you would approach it as mm -hmm. a, with a team of peers. And I think that approach prepared me very well for uh, entrepreneurial career, because basically mm -hmm. as entrepreneur, what you're doing is you're solving difficult problems with set of peers. Mm -hmm. uh, so uh, so that worked. That worked out really well. Mm -hmm. Well, very cool. Very cool. Well, I mean, let's talk about Grammarly. I mean, you had a huge raise uh, in 2021. Uh, it was a $200 million raise, which is which is amazing. What's it like to raise such an amount? And, and do you have that number in your head? Or is that just, it just kind of, you know, the demand and the, the supply side just kind of works its way through? How, how do you come up to a number like that? Well, um, 
the number wasn't uh, really important um it's it just something that like we had a range in uh, target range in mind but uh, uh otherwise it's just determined by uh, by circumstances uh but that race uh, was particularly rewarding because uh most of it was uh liquidity for team members oh uh, so Good. we almost kind of did a fake IPO, so to say, without actually doing IPO. And uh, that's why it was very rewarding uh, to to be able to show to team members that their equity that they got uh, um, is actually very valuable. Oh, yeah. Uh, and uh, yeah. That must have been such a proud moment. I mean, so, so basically the capital wasn't required because I'm assuming you're pretty cash positive, or at least I would assume a company like uh, Grammarly is finding that. Well, what's the next, what's the next chapter then without, without, I guess, showing too many cards? Is it, do you do another, do we do another round? Do you just, you know, keep steering? Do you look at a public market? Is there anything that, you know, you've got goals on? And if you, if you say, I can't say, I understand, don't worry. Yeah. Uh, it's actually not, uh, not a goal in itself. It's uh, we'll do whatever is needed to, to keep company operating and growing uh, whatever is optimal. Um, we don't need to go public or raise another round for uh, for cash flow needs. Mm -hmm. uh, so we'll do what strategically works. But it's not like, oh, this is the next milestone. We don't have milestones mm -hmm. in the sense. Milestones are more about number of users, product features. So value we create for uh, for our users. That's, that's where milestones are. Mm -hmm. uh, financing, funding, it's more... It's it just to, it's just kind of administrative maintenance of the business, basically. Um, yeah. Oh, I dig that. I mean, that's, I, I, you're in such a sweet spot. It's awesome because you get to steer the ship, you know, as opposed to having finance kind of, you know, oh, we need to do this. We need to do that. I mean, I was listening to a podcast yesterday, a podcast yesterday uh, and it was talking about Sequoia and the original founders in Sequoia, the second investment, their first investment was Atari. The second investment was Apple. And they because they had a bunch of LPs who were getting taxed because it's you know early days they didn't really have the proper setup for how it works. So they said, Oh, we need to sell the shares at six million dollars. They had a huge percentage of Apple, six million dollars. Boom, their shares are gone at that point. I mean, that is not a good business, you know. That's that's where finance directs mm -hmm. a business where it's an awful decision, for example. So having the place where you're more concerned about the users and being user-centric and all that. That's, that's, that, that, that must be great. Well, well, here's something, I mean, this is probably a question you can't answer, but it's so important to me is how do you create a product that is loved by so many people? Like, how do you do that? Is there some magic special powers or is it just listening? Uh, it's, uh, it's listening. It's a lot of listening. Uh, and it's also, um, putting user interest at the center. Mm -hmm. Uh, and, uh, we, and it's common to say that, but it really needs to happen. It, it you really need to live and breathe that. And I'm not just saying that. It it is what how we operate. Um, like for example, our business model uh, mm -hmm. is providing service to users and charging premium users for the product. There is no third party. There is no conflict of interest. We're not, I don't know, renting or selling user information or showing ads or anything like that. There is no like we're not conflict in any way. Uh, we are serving only our users, and that's our kind of center of attention. Mm -hmm. And uh, that helps a lot. That uh, removes a lot of 
distractions and it also mm -hmm. allows kind of this singular focus on creating user value um also um from the beginning we had this mantra that uh enterprise value equals user value created mm -hmm. um uh, or or a portion of user value created so basically they they grow in parallel you can't grow enterprise value sustain sustainably by just capturing bigger portion of the pie you need to grow the whole pie so you mm -hmm. need to create more user value and that's uh, that's how um can grammarly evolved uh, all the time but then it all also goes to the um user experience and and kind of this small details of user experience uh, from the beginning we realized that communication is very personal it's very something people care deeply about mm -hmm. uh, and because of that it is very difficult uh to interject yourself into communication to kind of a, be involved there uh, and uh, that's why we spent tremendous amount of effort and attention on making sure that our user experience and user interface doesn't come across as I don't know censorship or mm -hmm. judgmental or or anything like that. It it is your coach. It's it, it's it's there with you. It mm -hmm. helps you. It empowers you. But it doesn't impose itself. It doesn't judge. It doesn't kind of give you a grade or so or or or, or anything like that. Mm -hmm. So you're free to take it or leave it. It's it's an advice. It's a it's a helper, and uh, that's what we are kind of. That's the philosophy, and that's that's expressed in every element of our user interface, and and that's what makes product uh, lovable. Uh, that's what makes it uh, what makes it what it is. Uh, and, I got, and again, I got to salute you because not only did you create a product that's lovable, but, you know, it's easier to have a small segregated market where you're thinking, okay, we can, you know, we can do some user stories, we can do some user journeys, we can understand the user and focus on that. But this problem is like everyone, like you are making everyone happy and that's really difficult to do. So, uh, you, you know, what, what, whatever you guys did, I wish I could bottle it because that's worth a lot of, <laughs> a lot of money. Um, but uh, nice, nice work. Well, on afternoon tea, we have, you know, our theme, which is to help, you know, the next generation of uh, Canadian entrepreneurs out. So we have two questions that we always ask. Um, and you know what? I'm going to get my tea as too. That's a, ah, that's all right. Um, so we have two questions we always ask, and um, we're going to go with the first one, which is, can you share one piece of advice to help a younger Canadian founder out? Huh, one piece of advice. Yeah. <sighs> uh... Uh, yeah, um, one thing that came to mind, uh, and it might be random, but uh, it's just uh, related to, to discussion I had recently, uh, is uh, that um, it is important to understand luck and the role of luck in uh, in um, what you build and what you do. Uh, and some, it's very common for people to either think that oh, luck is everything, or my like what I'm doing is everything, and luck has nothing to do with it. Mm -hmm. The truth is in between, yeah. and uh, I think what helped me um, in in understanding that and being successful is that, or having this understanding that you can influence your luck. Uh, it still plays a big role, but you can actually change the odds, and you can change the odds by orders of magnitude. Mm. So you can increase your probability of success in a specific area by hundred times, by thousand times, but even by million times, because the probability is a multiply. Mm -hmm. uh, and just to illustrate that, 
um, with, with thing that made Mydrabox, like basically made it a real company, was partnership with uh, several uh, textbook publishers that bundled licenses of our product with their textbooks. Mm -hmm. So basically, we distributed the product to tens of thousands of people immediately. Uh, mm -hmm. uh, so that was really big success for us. But how did that happen? Uh, kind of, it was. It it looks like it was a lucky accident. Like mm -hmm. me running into a vice president or whatever in, in one of the publishers, having conversation and uh, signing a contract. But what led to this was me looking at 10 or maybe 15 companies that we could partner with, identifying 10 or 15 people in each company, mapping where they're going to be traveling, going to the same conferences of time after time after time, knowing where they're going to be and bumping into them repeatedly into mm -hmm. each one of them many many times with prepared elevator pitch with mm -hmm. prepared conversation topics and everything like that so basically you know if you leave it completely to luck maybe i could be in the same conference in the same time as a person maybe i come up with a topic that's interesting to them maybe i can recognize them in a crowd and so on but it's all like the chances are very low but if you have a list of 50 people from 15 companies and you know exactly what to talk to, uh, what to talk about with each of them, your chances are magnified by by thousand times. And that's uh, that's I think that realization and that philosophy is something that helped me a lot. When I just look at things that I cannot control perfectly, uh, then I think, oh, how can I change the odds? And then I break them into pieces and change the odds of success in every step. And then these improvements, they multiply. So the probability of success in the end can be increased by 10, 100, or even a million times. Mm -hmm. Well, can I say, Max, that was that was an incredibly humble um, answer. And one that I say, you might not have been born in Canada, but that was the most Canadian response I think I could have gotten from you. And I really appreciate that, is, you know, you're humble. You recognize that, you know, luck is out there, but you make your own luck too. You have to be prepared for the time. Yeah. So, uh, no, I think, I think that's an awesome lesson. And thank you so much for sharing, especially from such a personal, a personal spot. Well, next question, this is an important one is, can you share the name of a Canadian entrepreneurial star that you or founder that you personally look up to? Yeah, it's an interesting question because my philosophy about learning or looking up to people is that you can learn something from everyone. Mm -hmm. So it doesn't have to be an idol. It doesn't have to be somebody who is better than you in every way. Uh, you can learn something from everyone. Um, even if somebody makes only makes mistakes, there are not people who only make mistakes, but if, let's say if somebody only makes mistakes, you can still learn from their mistakes. For sure. So, so I follow a lot of people uh, and, and try to find something to learn from everyone. Mm -hmm. um, but uh, those that I would highlight and, um, I'm sorry if this is something that every or somebody that everybody brings up. Um, but in our early um, early Grammarly history, we we looked uh, we looked up a lot to uh, Slack, um, and uh, there are a lot of parallels. Um, kind of focus on design, focus on on very um, pleasant and uh, absorbing and and uh, attractive user experience. Um, focus on kind of creating a tool for work that's pleasant to use and feels like 
a tool for fun mm -hmm. uh that's uh that's also kind of uh something that we um we borrowed some uh some notes and some ideas for, from from them uh so um that was um and and, and boldness uh mm -hmm. kind of some of the some of the ideas some of the moves some of the uh decisions it's like really can a small company do that can a company challenge status quo can a company challenge big tech and uh, uh that was uh, eye-opening i think that uh, that kind of uh, boldness and braveness uh was uh, there um another big one that we follow uh is uh shopify and Mm -hmm. That's why kind of I, I I apologize for for being uh, predictable because uh, I think everybody would refers to them, but they're, they're a great company and uh, they have tremendous amount of user focus uh, and and user kind of they have different groups of users, both shop owners and users individuals who are who are mm -hmm. shopping and uh, and they manage to serve both audiences quite well. Uh, I think that's that's a really um, really important ability being able to identify that your users are not all homogeneous groups they're they're actually different groups and 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 they're different things important for them and still be able to navigate that that's that's awesome i mean these are two great companies i mean do you want we want to, i actually have a personal slack story which i think is kind of interesting i mean when we founded our company we worked with their san francisco office before they were slack so they were glitch which is the old mm -hmm. video game and we built their android app and mm -hmm. we actually got to see the the the, the slack version 0.001 whatever you want to call it because obviously or or the history is is glitch unfortunately failed as 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 a company which is too bad because it was such a cute video game um and they said okay we have you know enough runway for something what should we do and they had their internal communication platform that we we did get to see and that's what became slack or the what was a 21 billion dollar monster that he sold to was it microsoft or yeah i think it was microsoft or shop um uh, Salesforce, I think it was Microsoft though, but uh, anyhow, he's uh, Stuart Butterfield and team are just uh, enjoying life now, I assume, which is which is great because they solved a big problem, you know, they communication uh, on yeah. mass and data that, hey, maybe I wasn't part of that original, you know, string, but now I can see what you guys were talking about. So I have, you know, I can index my, you know, index what the company's talking about without even having that conversation. So uh, no, you choose, you chose two great ones, but I bet you both of them, if I asked them who they look up to, Max, it would be you and Grammarly. So um, <laughs> I, 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 I truly, truly, truly believe that. Well, Max, th thank you for, for, for sharing um, with us today for, 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 um, for being a big part in the, in the, in the Vancouver and Canadian uh, community as well. Um, I, I, I think it's a, it's a great company and you, you and your founders, uh, co-founders should be so proud of everything you've done. So thank you so much. Thank you. Thank you so much, uh, Chris. Ahoy, afternoon tea listeners. If you got this far, I assume you like this episode and that is awesome. Thank you. In such a case, please rate and review Afternoon Tea Podcast and subscribe on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your feeds from. Afternoon Tea is a podcast with a goal to share the stories of Canada's successful tech entrepreneurs in order to prepare the next wave of founders. We do have some great guests lined up for future episodes, but we would love to hear your thoughts too. Please do let us know who you think should be on the show. You can do so by emailing me at podcast at ttt.studio. That is P-O-D-C-A-S-T at 
T-T-T, that is three T's, dot studio. You will notice there is no dot com because we are that sophisticated. Furthermore, you can find us at social media at T-T-T underscore studios. I look forward to chatting with you soon.